Well, turn with me this morning to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through to 9, Colossians 2, 1 through to 9. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized version. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, as we continue with our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians, my text today is found in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. It reads as follows, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Now, my theme today I've entitled The Christian's Life and the Walk of Faith. In connection with the preceding verses, the Apostle Paul continues with a tremendous statement about the Christian's life and the walk of faith. That's what Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7 is all about. The Colossians like all saved believers, receive Jesus Christ by faith, and that all who have received Jesus Christ by faith will also walk. That is, they will live and think by faith as well. Remember that the false teachers were at work in Colossae. They were trying to set aside or minimize Jesus Christ in his person and work with their clever man-made philosophies. I don't believe they were overtly denying Christ in a, an absolute outward sense, but they were saying, you've got to learn our secrets. You, you've got to follow our man-made rules. You, you've got to discover our wisdom. You, you've got to worship angels. You've got to understand the visions that we have had. Christ alone, oh, oh but he's not enough. You see, that's why in chapter 1, from verse 14, the Apostle Paul set forth the superiority 
and the sole sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in the fullness of his person and work. Remember he has told us, Colossians 1.14, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You see, remember that Christ alone is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. That means he's the source. He created all things. By him, all things consist in the whole of the universe. By him, they're all held together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And God's intention is that Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, has preeminence in all things. Over all things. Because in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And even though we are born guilty, hell-deserving sinners, born hostile to God, alienated from him through a life of evil works, remember, it was Jesus Christ who reconciled us to God through his death on the cross and his blood shedding. You see, this was the Christ that Paul preached. This was the Christ that Paul proclaimed. This was the Christ that the Colossian people had believed on, having heard it from Epaphras and received. This was the Christ that dwelt in the Colossians' heart and life by faith. And the Apostle Paul didn't want them to be taken in by deceptive arguments of the false teachers. And the best way to do that was to go on walking with the very same Christ whom they had received. You see, if we want to go on with Christ, if we want to make spiritual progress, if we want to grow in the Christian life without accepting or succumbing to many false teachers and cults in our day, or without falling into a deadly sin, or without drifting into spiritual apathy, then we must go on with Christ. This all-sufficient, supreme, superior redeemer. Christ is the very same one whom we have received by faith. And this one that we have received by faith, we must continue with this very same one. Now, this is really the first part of a two-part message. Today, we're dealing with who Christ is and how we received him and the simple impact or implication of true faith in our lives. Think of three things this morning. Think of the person whom we have received. Look at the text. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Underline the words Christ Jesus the Lord. Notice the order of the name. It's highly significant. The exact Greek sequence of names is very unique here in the New Testament because we've got a full description of who he is. We have received him as Christ. Now, the word Christ means the anointed one or the Messiah. The one who came from the Father, God's only begotten Son, is actually God's anointed one, anointed to be the promised Messiah, anointed as prophet, anointed as priest, anointed as king. See, he's not an imposter. 
See, as God's anointed king, Jesus Christ is appointed to reign as the sovereign of the whole of the universe. God the Father has placed his only begotten Son in the throne at his right hand and gave the nations to him as an inheritance. And the very end of the earth is his possession. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Psalm 110 verse 1. And one day every enemy will bow the knee before him and acknowledge he is king of kings and lord of lords. One day he'll overthrow the devil and the false prophets and, and all who follow them into the lake of fire. Surely there's no power on earth, no power in heaven greater than this most preeminent one. No power in earth or heaven can stand against him. He's God's anointed king with great power and authority. I'll tell you more, he's God's appointed prophet. You see, Jesus Christ speaks for God as God's prophet. He comes to teach and tell us the way of salvation. He speaks with power and authority. He speaks power and authority about heaven and about hell and eternal life. In fact, he speaks with power and authority in every aspect of life. He is omniscient. And yet he's without sin. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. And all that he says is wise, good, and true. He is God's anointed priest. You see, as a priest, Jesus Christ mediates between God and men. One of my favorite texts is 1 Timothy 2 and 5. Um, and it teaches us there about the mediatorial uh, work of Christ. For there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. You've got to think of him on the cross, offering himself as a once and for all blood sacrifice for sin to satisfy the holy demand of the justice of God. And in the ground of that blood, in that blood sacrifice, we can make our approach to God. We can be reconciled to him. Remember the scripture says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Paul says of him, But this man, Hebrews 10 and 12, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And it was the Apostle Paul that said in Hebrews um, uh, chapter uh, 9 uh, and in the verse 26, he said, For then must Christ, he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, now this Christ whom Paul preached, this is the one that's been revealed in the Old Testament scriptures. And it's the same Christ that the Colossian people had received by faith. And Paul is arguing now that you must not turn aside to any other Christ. You must not turn aside to any other so-called human philosophy. Because this Christ, this prophet, priest, and king, he provides a full and free salvation to all who trust him as Lord and Redeemer. And the question for us tonight this morning is this, have you received Christ? Have you received him as God's anointed king, God's anointed prophet, God's anointed priest? If you look at the text again, it says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, we've received him as Jesus. Now that's his human name or his personal name. Remember when he was born, Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, the angel Gabriel came to Joseph and what did he say to Joseph? He, he told him about Mary expecting a baby and he said, thou shall call his name 
Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Joseph didn't pick the name Jesus. It was given to him by the word of the angel. And you see, Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua. And what does Joshua mean? It means Jehovah saves. And we were singing this morning deliberately, Jesus saves. You see, it speaks of his real humanity. The Son of God came right to where we are. He, he possessed a real, true human flesh and blood body. He took upon himself the likeness of our sinful nature and yet was without sin. And he did so for our salvation and redemption. You think of the concept of salvation for a moment. Who needs to be saved? Why? You think of people who are religious. And people feel, well, we're functioning pretty well on their own. And, and, and self-righteousness and religiosity can blind people to their need of Christ. And that was true of Nicodemus for many, many years. Until he heard the message that night from Jesus. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. See, some people imagine, well, all I need is a, a little help. All I need is some sort of scheme or, or a bit of advice or a bit of guidance to do this and that and the other. But they don't see themselves as sinners. They don't see themselves as lost and guilty before God. They don't see themselves as a breaker of God's law. And that's part of the problem today. Many, many people don't realize what sin is. Sin is the transgression of the law of God in thought and in word and in deed. And God is love, and that's a wonderful message, but God is also holy. God is just. God dwells in light unapproachable. God's a God of righteous anger and wrath. Remember Isaiah the prophet ushered into God's presence. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. And what did he say? And he saw the Lord in his throne. Woe is me. For I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For mine eyes have seen the king. You see, when you're ushered into the presence of God and you see him as he is, then you become conscious of what? You become conscious of sin. Conscious that you've broken his law. Conscious that you've said and done things that are wrong. How can you be reconciled to such a holy, great, and terrible God? How could you be in a right relationship with us, God? And here's the good news. This is a faithful saying, Paul says, 1 Timothy 1, 15, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Remember the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called out like Peter? Lord, save me, I perish. Have you called out like the public and God be merciful to me, the sinner? Because Jesus Christ, this Christ that Paul preached, that the Colossian believers received, is the only true and saviour of sinners. The only one that God has provided for lost sinners to be reconciled and brought into a right relationship with him. I'll tell you something else. If you look at the text, we receive him as Lord. Here's the person whom they had received, Christ Jesus the Lord. Can you get the fullness of this? Not only Christ in his ministry as the anointed prophet, priest, and king, and Christ in his true humanity, and that true humanity is an integral part of salvation, but also we receive him as Lord. This is a reference to his deity. 
It focuses not only in Old Testament but in the New Testament on his absolute sovereignty as creator. He is over all creation. You and me. We live in him. We move in him. We're dependent on him. He is absolutely sovereign over the church. He's the head of the church, which is the body. See, we believe in the crown rights of King Jesus. And the state, the human government, has no authority over Christ's church. Let me make that clear. They have no jurisdiction here. Why? Because Christ is the head of the church. So they can't come in and impose their will and tell us to do this or that. And he's absolutely sovereign over creatures, even the wicked. He's absolutely sovereign over his children. And I tell you this morning, there's none greater than him. What does it mean? Christ Jesus the Lord. It means that all his commands must be obeyed. Because all his commands are good and wise and true. And he made us in his image. And he knows what is best for us. And Paul is saying this to these Colossian believers. In the midst of false teachers in the church. And in the city of Colossae. You must not. And you cannot trade Christ Jesus the Lord. And you can't trade Christ Jesus the Lord for a false Christ or a false Jesus or a false Lord. And you can't substitute Christ Jesus the Lord. You don't need angels to mediate because you've got Christ. And you don't need special wisdom or special rules because you've got Christ. And you don't need special words of knowledge because you've got Christ. Here's the person whom they received. And this is the same Christ that's preached and proclaimed here. This is the same Christ that you profess to have received. We must not only commence the Christian life with him, but we must continue with him. And we must consummate it in him and in him alone. The person whom they received, Christ Jesus the Lord. Notice secondly and quickly here. The principle which he revealed. Look at the first part of the text. As ye therefore, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Notice the words, as ye have therefore received. How do you become a Christian? How do you become a child of God? If somebody asks you that question at school, university, or work, you're a Christian as a young person, how would you answer them? Well, what, what, what would you say? Well, well, here's the best answer. John 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power or the right or the authority to become the children of God, even did them not believe on his name. Now, now what does the word receive mean? It, it means by an act of faith, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, the word received means to receive as transmitted. Paul received the gospel directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not Paul's gospel. It's Christ's gospel that was revealed to him. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was taught it, 
but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ revealed himself to Paul in the fullness of his person and work. And Paul passed it on to others. And one day, a man called Epaphras heard Paul preach. And he too received Christ. He embraced the gospel. And this man, Epaphras, became the pastor at the church at Colossae. And he took the gospel to Colossae. And in Colossae, as this man, Epaphras, preached, the people there, at least some of them, received his testimony. And they embraced his preaching. How do we know? By trusting in and believing and accepting and coming to this one that was called by Epaphras and Paul and others, Christ Jesus the Lord. See, young people, we need to get back and rediscover the great truths of the gospel. The true gospel is not a human philosophy. It's not based on the teaching or the thinking of wise religious men. And I'm not saying wise and religious men cannot be saved. But what I'm saying is it's not the product of human philosophy. It's not the teaching and thinking of wise religious men or non-religious men in universities. No, this gospel, this good news was transmitted to us from Jesus Christ through his chosen apostles as recorded in the New Testament. You see, it's the testimony of receiving a unique person. Christ Jesus the Lord. You see, it's not even that we believe a body of doctrine about him. It's not even that we give mental assent to that doctrine and say, I believe these truths intellectually and mentally in our hearts and lives. Now, that's true. And we have to give mental assent to these truthful propositions about Christ as revealed in the Scriptures. But it's more than that. It's recognizing who he is. Christ Jesus the Lord and, and, and then it's going forward and receiving him to be Lord and Redeemer to see him as a saviour from all sin and embracing him as rightful Lord and Redeemer see true faith is the eye that sees him sees him as the greatest treasure in all of the world and if you could think of great treasure, sometimes I watch the um, program from Australia and the Outback and uh, people who are looking for gold or looking for opal or other um, treasures and the joy and delight when they find some and the sadness and, uh, and the, the misery when they can't find any. But here's the greatest treasure of all, the pearl of greatest price. Christ Jesus the Lord, and faith is the eye that sees him as the greatest treasure. Faith is the hand that lays hold upon him. I want him. I must have him. And, and, and faith is the heart that is worn to see him as the most suitable and special Lord and Redeemer of all. And through the work of the Spirit, faith is deposited, and faith opens the heart, and by the hand receives him. You think of a gift. If I offered you a gift this morning, suppose I held up the Quaker Oats and said, I'm going to give you this as a gift. What would you have to do? You'd have to come out of your seat. You'd have to come up to the front. You'd, you'd have to receive it. You see, 
It's a coming to Christ. It's a believing on him. It's a receiving him. We're not saved by Christian values, important as they are. Or Christian doctrine. And I am a believer in Christian doctrine, you know that. But we're not saved by virtues. We're not saved by values or doctrine. We're not even saved by Christian morality. We're saved by Christ. Jesus saves solely and exclusively. Here's the principle which he revealed. As ye have therefore received, it was transmitted. Christ was transmitted to them. Let me ask this. Have you received him? He's willing and able. Have you come to him? Have you believed in him to the saving of your soul? Have you received him by faith? Just as you'd receive a gift. The greatest gift of all. With an open heart and an open hand. And a, and a willingness rejoicing that he is able and willing to receive you. How do you become a child of God? How do you become a Christian? But as many as received him. See, it's him. To them gave he the right, the power, the, the exousia to become the children of God. I want you to think thirdly and lastly this morning, the purpose for which he's referenced. Notice the end of the verse. It says, so walk ye in him. You see, this is why Paul made reference to Christ Jesus the Lord. This is why he said, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, then he added this bit, so walk ye in him. Now this is very practical. See, walk is a metaphor for living the Christian life. Walk is in the present tense. It Indicates an ongoing process. Walking has a starting point and it has a finishing point. The word walk, I believe, is a real favorite of the Apostle Paul's for describing the Christian life. Remember, that was part of his prayer for the church at Colossae that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Many other references we could come up with. Walking's not running. Walking is not galloping. It's not flying. It's not sprinting. Walking's not as quick as these other means that I've described. So walk in him. You see, the word walk indicates to me at least a, a deliberate direction. And it's a step-by-step process. But eventually you'll get to where you're going. And it implies, if I put it this way, as we wrap things up, it's a daily walk. It's day by day. I'm walking with Christ Jesus the Lord. It's a steady walk because it's side by side. It's step by step. Because you're not on your own. He's with you in the journey. And it's progressive because you're making progress towards a goal. And where is the goal of the Christian? Well, well the goal of the Christian is, is at home with the Lord. So you're walking in step by step every day with the Lord Jesus until eventually he brings you home with heaven. Isn't that what happened to Enoch? 
It's, it says in the book of Genesis in chapter 5 that with God, Enoch walked about. It, it was as if, if we think of the Lord Jesus coming in a pre-incarnate vision to Enoch, Enoch standing at the gate and he's maybe looking out at the nice day and admiring the creative elements all around him and praising and thanking God and all of a sudden this person called Jesus Christ comes along and says to Enoch, would you like to go for a walk? And where does he take him to? He took him home to heaven because Enoch was one of the men who didn't die. He was translated. And that's the way I like to think of that. With God, Enoch walked about. The emphasis here is on the Lord. You see the word the? It's, it's deliberate in the Greek. Christ Jesus, the Lord. So walk ye in him. You think of the history of the Christian church. And I think especially of the 18th and 19th century. And there was a teaching abroad. We'd call it the carnal Christian theory. And it goes like this. That you can receive Christ as your saviour. And then 20 or 30 years later, if you feel like it, you can receive him as your Lord. So you could start off with Jesus the Savior. Good, you've received him. Well done. Then the next stage, the second stage, you could crown him Lord of your life if you want. But that carnal Christian theory is a lie. It's absolutely wrong. C.T. Studd was right. If Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. There's no such thing as a second-class Christian. You cannot be saved from your sins and then say, well, I refuse Christ as my Lord. There's no such thing as an especial elite people who have received Christ as Savior and then received him as Lord and they're better than all the others. The Apostle Paul is presenting the whole Christ. Remember the name? Christ Jesus the Lord. All together as one. His ministry, his humanity, his deity. And if you have a true work of grace wrought about by the Spirit of God in your heart and life, you will want and desire him. You will love him. Because the scripture says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength and thou shalt love him as thyself. You, you will have a desire to live for him. If he's the Lord, then you'll listen to what he says. You'll want to follow him. You'll want to obey him. Your life will be changed and transformed because if any man be what? In Christ is a new creature. All things are passed away and all things become new. And you'll be loyal to him. You'll want to do as well because you're living under his commands. You see, as I wrap this up, so walk ye in him. You see, it speaks of a union in Christ. We're so close to him, Christ Jesus the Lord. And he is so close to us. And there's nothing that can separate us together. It's not just a union, but it's the closest possible union that brings about communion and friendship and fellowship. Remember the vine and the branches? Is the branches stuck onto the vine with sellotape or some other mechanism? No, the branches are in an organic living union with the vine. And the branches draw all that they need from the vine. The leaves and the grapes, they all depend on the vine for everything. And you see, Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And I want to tell you this morning, in Christ, 
with all your struggles, with all your fears, with all your worries, you're wondering, where am I going to get strength for today? Where am I going to get wisdom in this situation? I don't know what to do. Where am I going to get the power from? I wish I had this talent, or I wish I had this gift. Let's remember this, that all that we have and all that we need is in Christ. And even all the spiritual desires that we have, the spiritual good that we do, the spiritual thought that we enjoy, from the scriptures to the Sabbath to sanctification, it's all derived from him. He gives us the strength. He gives us the wisdom. He creates the desire. He gives the the, the willpower so that we can walk in him. Imitating him. Following his example. You see, you can't be in a living life of dependence and saving union with Christ without being like him. And the things he hates, we will hate. And the things he loves, we will love. And the things that he's doing, those are the things that we'll put first and make it a top priority. And what is the top priority? Hallowing God's name. The implementation of God's will. The advancement of God's kingdom. Let me close with this illustration this morning. It's a true story. I want to take you to India. I want you to take you to one of the provinces there. I want you to think of a a Christian man. He's got a wife and two boys. He's living for Christ. He loves the Savior. He's loyal to him. He refuses to deny Christ Jesus the Lord. Hindu activists, one particular evening, attacked this missionary man's home. The wife was out. They burnt the husband. The two boys alive. Could you imagine a wife returning home to such a scene? The house ablaze. Where's my husband? Where's my boys? The screams and the gun. Can you enter into that? Eventually, the police came and passage of time the gang that was responsible the Hindu activists were caught the leader of course was sentenced to death the other members of the gang were to be sentenced to life in prison and whenever the court case was taking place the uh, wife was asked I'm trying to remember her name I think it was Mrs. Strain but it may not be uh, correct if my memory's right. And she was asked a question, and the question was this. How do you feel about this sentence? And she said this. It's right that the law takes its course, but I've forgiven these men in my heart. You see, the spirit of forgiveness was in her heart. Why? That couldn't be right. Well, remember our Savior on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, that spirit of forgiveness was in her heart, and we can confirm that because that was her testimony. I have forgiven these men in my heart. Now, that doesn't mean that that spirit was conferred on these men because they hadn't repented, they hadn't asked for that forgiveness, and there's a difference. The leader never truly said sorry. The strange thing is a twist of fate would have it. 
the leaders responsible for the murder of a man and two boys. His sentence was commuted to life in prison, and the rest of the gang members go free. Hard to understand. But this woman later testified that she was walking with Christ, and she wanted to imitate her Savior. And therefore, she said, I've forgiven these men in, their heart, in my heart. And I wonder, as we seek to imitate Christ, people who have wronged us and hurt us, done evil things to us, maybe bullied us at school, bullied us at work, or some other thing, betrayed us, robbed us of something, could we say, but I've forgiven that individual in my heart because I'm walking with Jesus and I want to imitate him. That is the purpose that he referenced. So walk ye in him. The Christian's life and the walk of faith. Next week in the will of God, we'll look at part two, which is verse seven. I didn't want to bring it all at one time because there's no way I had to get through it all this morning.